Dr. Catherine Pulaski, personal log. Reminder to self, add turbo lifts to the nope list. Welcome to Reengage, the weekly <laughs> podcast where we watch and discuss episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Our cultural bridge officers dissect each episode as well as the pop culture and world events that took place when it first aired. We're a bunch of Gen X adults returning to the series we loved as kids to see how it holds up. So order your tea, Earl Grey hot, and let's re-engage. Welcome once again to re-engage the Star Trek Next Generation podcast. My name is Kate Yeager. I am your host this evening or afternoon or morning. I don't know you. I don't know your listening habits. I just said habits. Mm. I'm going to stand by it. Uh, we are here for the episode Contagion. That's the cabinet where you put all your sewing supplies and... <laughs> I, I was going to say it's like the cabinet for nuns, the habnet. Oh, that's much better. <laughs> uh, you just heard uh, Mr. Eric Gratton. Eric, how are you? I'm okay. I didn't mean to interrupt no, and thereby get introduced just... first. <laughs> oh, I'm doing well. How hot do you think Earl Grey hot is? I guess it's supposed to come at about 195 degrees just under um boiling maybe at 205 somewhere in there too hot too hot you want it to be like 160 okay the no the, i mean to drink definitely but i meant you know if it's still steeping i guess it it's not still, still steeping, steeping. Well, that's a good question does it come pre-steeped i mean there's no bag there's no loose it's leaves true. it doesn't seem like it's true it's true we're gonna anyway, to, I'm great. Yeah, good, good, good. <laughs> I'm going to dive into that for the rest of this episode. Uh, fuck the other two. <laughs> I really, really want to investigate this Earl Grey tea question. Oh, I mean, hi, Greg Tito. How are you? Hi, I am <laughs> excited to talk about this episode because of the tea Earl Grey hot. I drank Earl Grey tea for decades because of this episode, uh, and I don't think I actually like it. But I, I did it because of Picard. It's too flowery. I put way too much sugar into it, but I really enjoyed it because Picard asked for it. There you go. I was uh, I was in Michigan a couple weeks ago ordering a drink for a friend, and I ordered um, uh, oh god, this story uh, make a London fog, a London fog, which is Earl Grey tea with basically steamed milk. Um, and and I frightened them by asking for a London fog because they had never heard of it. And then I was like, it's just tea and van- a little vanilla and some milk in it. <laughs> and it reminded me of 25, 30 years ago being in London and trying to order a mocha before um, Starbucks was a thing and like <laughs> convincing them to put hot chocolate in a coffee. And they kept being like, you want these together? Like in the same thing. <laughs> like, okay. All right. It's up to you. It's fine. <laughs> If you're nuts. (laughs) Hi, Jimmy G. How are you? Well, I was doing great until you brought up the uh, the Earl Grey tea thing. (laughs) London Fog as a reformed tea captain from Lady Middle's Tea Salon for 10 years. Oh, I tell you that uh, putting milk into Earl Grey, which uh, which makes Earl Grey Earl Grey is oil of bergamot. And that is uh, not a citrus, but it's like a citrus. And putting a milk in there, it starts to not literally cur- curl it, but it does kind of break it up. And it it looks bad, and you're um, destroying the reason to drink tea by putting milk in it in the first place. So shame I, on those people. 
I love that I can count on you to have a strong opinion on just about anything. <laughs> it's but what the, makes me love you. <laughs> the best thing about it is that Jimmy, our friend Jimmy, who is one of the best, most awesome people that I know, but also relatively crass uh, and, and enjoys that aspect of his life, was the tea captain at one of the biggest hoity-toity famous tea rooms in America. Wow. That's true. And, and great at his job. It and was I had amazing. To go by James because Jimmy was too informal. Ooh! <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is man. amazing. <laughs> well, let's get uh, back to we're here, uh, Stardate 42609.1, uh, which uh, for us was March 20th, 1989. Greg, tell us what was happening in the news. Well, we had uh, about a month, uh, actually exactly a month between uh, the Dauphin, which was on uh, February 20th, and this episode, Contagion, which was March 20th. A whole bunch happened, but I want to talk about the Louvre Pyramid uh, that we know that's in front Ooh, of yeah. the Louvre in Paris was inaugurated on March 4th. Uh, you know, we often think of that being like, you know, what the Louvre looks like, but it was really only since 1989 that that was... Uh, a big part of the architecture there. Um, you might talk about this, uh, Kate, but I'm going to steal your thunder here by saying that Madonna's Like a Prayer video premiered uh, on a worldwide Pepsi commercial on March 2nd of this year. I remember that being a big deal because, who boy, there was some heavy things happening in that video, if I remember correctly. That she She makes out with Jesus a lot. There's some boobies and also some blood. Yeah, some stigmata, I think. And mm -hmm. uh, also their Jesus was black, which is culturally more right, uh, but really pissed off the Midwest, I tell you something. <laughs> something fierce. Uh, and I don't think it was actually, prim like I think it was too risque for MTV at the time or something like that. Do you remember that? Like it was like the, do, the uncut yeah. version or something like that was uh, a big deal. I never actually saw it. Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, in terms of just like, uh, well, I love that song. And also just knowing how much it pissed people off uh, <laughs> makes me happy. So it, therefore, it is fantastic in my mind. Hells yeah. <laughs> uh, March 4th, Time Incorporated and Warner Communications announced plans to merger into Time Warner. Oh, wow. That feels like Huge. that's always been that way. But man, yeah, 1989 was when that first happened. Time, of course, was mostly known for, for, for print publications uh, and magazines. Remember those? Those are great. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, but yet another bellwether for the future coming was March 13th. An Englishman who worked at the CERN Institute in Switzerland uh, proposed... Uh, and his name was Tim Berners-Lee, uh, introduced the proposal document for the World Wide Web. That was on March 13th. It was the first time that someone came up with a way that you could access the internet. The internet had been around for a while. It was mostly used for uh, academic and uh, uh, scientific um, endeavors as well as the military. And this was Tim Berners-Lee idea was to say like, hey, we could create an HTTP protocols and the idea of what a World Wide Web meant. So that's why we still have www in the beginning of many website addresses. And it all comes down to him. Uh, and he was uh, not necessarily talked about for a long time, but then uh, started to become much more 
famous and recognized for this idea, uh, and especially during the Olympics in London, where he was, uh, you know, kind of shouted out as being the inventor of the World Wide Web. So it's oh, his fault. It wasn't Amazing. Al Gore. Al Gore, Al Gore was around for the internet. I actually had to look this up because I had that same thought. I was like, wasn't it Al Gore? Isn't that, is that just an urban legend? Uh, Al Gore is known for uh, creating the legislation that led to investment in uh, our own browsers uh, and you know, kind of expanding what the internet could do. Uh, but it was Tim Berners-Lee who, who was the way, you know, was, was the web. What, basically, how, how can consumers access uh, this, this, this stuff? Wow. Yeah. And the rest, as they say, uh, was one big fight. <laughs> <laughs> and it led to us talking on this podcast right now oh. where you're accessing it on the World Wide Web. It's true. It's true. Anything else from you, Greg? That's it. What was happening else in, the, in pop culture? Well, in pop culture world, uh, we finally get a new number one song, and it's Lost in Your Eyes by Debbie Gibson, oh. a classic I don't mind not knowing what we're heading for. You can take me to the skies. It's like being lost in heaven when I'm lost in your eyes. Thank you. Thank you, Debbie. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, oh, Debbie. girl. Uh, we missed the movie Lean on Me being number one for two weeks. Uh, and it was replaced uh, this very weekend by uh, Fletch Lives. Oh, uh, nice. <laughs> Jimmy, Hot. you're a fan. I can see it. The way you're making stinky so motions okay. with your hands. It wasn't as good as Fletch. It really wasn't. Sure. It's got the oh, best no, line, though, which is like, hi, my name is Peter Limongello. Your house is on fire. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I will say that it is worth it uh, because we have so few opportunities to uh, see Cleavon Little because he died so young. So he has this terrible fucking role in it. But, you know, he's Cleavon Little, so he's great. Uh, very, very worth a watch for those yeah. of you who have not seen it. Make sure you watch the first one or you'll have no idea what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> it was all about the plot, right? Yeah, that's very yes. important. Uh, on television, we have a new number one show. Um, we, we rarely mention the number one show week by week uh, because it was always the Cosby show unless it was, you know, the Olympics or the Super Bowl or something like this. Uh, but here uh, in this week, the show Roseanne took over on the number one slot. Yeah. That was a big so deal. two, two uh, iconic family shows. Um, led by crazy people uh, that, you know, then gave us uh, uh, offshoots. Uh, <laughs> we'll say that. Uh, on, on the great Broadway slash television, um, Mary Martin's Peter Pan was shown on television again, oh. and it was the first time it had been seen on TV since 1973. Anyone remember seeing that, Mary Martin's Peter Pan? I do. It was a big deal. I remember the whole the swinging of her yeah. flying uh, and how I uh, was able to handle that. Yeah, I, that was my mom was a big, you know, fan of the old school musicals. And so the fact that mm -hmm. that was going to be shown on TV again was a was a red. Lit. I think we even, you know, queued up the, the VCR to record. Ooh. It. For me growing up, Peter Pan was Kathy Rigby. Ah, yes. Uh, but I was like deep into gymnastics as a little kid. So she was already one of my big heroes so that that's who kind of was my imprint of peter pan 
Uh, births that week, J.J. Uh, Watt and Constant Wu. Constance Wu were both born that week. Uh, so that's your I feel old uh, <laughs> touchstone for the week. Uh, let's talk about the episode itself, uh, written by Steve Gerber and Beth Woods. Beth Woods has one other credit for uh, a program called Captain Simeon and the Space Monkeys. Uh, I know nothing about it other than that it's a fantastic name. Uh, Steve Gerber, however, um, huge in the comic book world, uh, best known for creating Howard the Duck. Uh, he was co-creator oh, of Howard the Duck. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and then he wrote for a few um, television series, uh, and this was one of those episodes. So there you go. Wow. Howard Thank the Duck you. just got a recent, uh, you know, kind of comeuppance, too, in the Marvel thing on a, a what if episode. I haven't watched it yet. They but all die at the me. end. That's uh, everyone goes down, but also Howard the Duck in it. <laughs> uh episode was directed by joseph l scanian uh we have seen his work before he directed skin of evil and the big goodbye um jimmy tell us do you have any production notes for this episode? Uh, yeah there's a bunch of fun stuff uh so you had mentioned beth woods only having one credit that was for good reason she was actually like the it person for the trek offices she was a fan she and she did the took care of the computer systems uh, at the Trek offices. Uh, and this was her sole contribution outside of that. Uh, this awesome. is the Yeah, this is the first episode. Um, we see both uh, two firsts for Picard. One, first mention of his uh, amateur archaeology uh, fascination, which is going to be important in two more episodes coming up. And it is the very first time we actually hear uh, T, Earl Grey, hot. Uh, and it, it seems like that's something you would have heard of in the very first episode because it's so attached to the character of Picard. But in fact, this was the first one. Uh, it's the first time we hear the mention of uh, a Romulan uh, Warbird's ship name, the Hakona. Uh, and we also hear Bruce Maddox mentioned again, just shortly after uh, we met him in Measure of a Man. So, uh, you know, this is a great character who only had one appearance, but he's going to live on in the the episodes in name only. Um, and then we get Rick Stam uh, Stembach. We've talked about him a few times before. He's uh, one of the two uh, regular artists for the show that, that do uh, the set design. And he really loves anime. And again, he worked in a bunch of anime in the Iconin um, uh, gateway. So all uh -huh. along there are the names of uh, anime, TV, uh, movies in Japanese script. Uh, and then he threw in the writers, um, Beth Woods and Gerber. They're actually listed as the first officers uh, in the ship's manifest when Picard went <laughs> through it. Uh, and then just because of the episode and what happened, I, I, it made me think of, you know, the, the solution that we'll talk about seems so easy to us now, but in 1989, it wasn't as simple because computers, especially home computers, weren't all that common. So I, I just looked up, was like, well, what were computers in 1989? Uh, and in fact, it was the very first year that Macintosh Portable was released, which cost $6,500. Uh, and the Whoa. NEC Ultralight was also introduced in 1989. And uh, this is the first laptop that was considered a notebook. Uh, and it came in just under five pounds. And for comparison, my uh, MacBook Air that I'm using now is 2.8 pounds. So 
considerably uh, heavier. Uh, 1989 was also the introduction of the very first ransomware, the AIDS Trojan horse, it was called. Uh, and they would take your information and hide that in a file on your computer. Uh, and so you'd have to you know, strip down your computer or pay to get it uh, released. Um, and Sim City was released on uh, October 3rd of 1989. So, you know, the, this whole world of easy access computers, it, it, you know, it, it was brand new in 1990. It was new stuff that they were playing around with. So this idea of a computer infection, uh, as I've mentioned, you know, the very first ransomware, this was a, a new thing then. Um, and so it, 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 it's interesting looking back on on uh, how uh, sophomoric the problem seems now. Uh, but in 1989, this was like, oh yeah, computers, oh. It, it, you can't find it. That's that's brilliant. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that was it. Excellent. Okay. So I got to uh, say about that. <laughs> Tell us about the guest stars on this episode. Uh, not my, very many, but we've got some good ones. Oh my goodness. It's just an incredible list of three that I've chosen to talk about. Um, as always this season, it's a bunch of incredible careers. I mean, we'll, we'll start off with Captain Donald Varley portrayed incredibly. And uh, I can't wait to talk about his performance uh, by Thalmas Razulala. Uh, who had an incredible career. Uh, I'll summarize it as best I can using the names of things he was in that us as Gen X people will freak out about. We'll start with the police commissioner in New Jack City. God, he's stellar in that. But that's not even a start because then you go to Blackula where he was the vampire killer Gordon Thomas. Wow. He was fucking Cornelius in Hello, Dolly with Pearl (gasps) Bailey as Dolly. Holy shit. Wow. Tons and tons and tons of cops and military and hard asses throughout television history. Kojak, Lou Grant, Sanford and Son he was in. Jefferson's What's Happening, Incredible Hulk. He played the priest in the Richard Pryor Exorcist SNL skit, if you remember that shit. The man (laughs) was everywhere. He was incredible. And I love him in this episode. Next, we have Dana Sparks as Ensign Williams, who I think you remember with the Gozer haircut standing uh, <laughs> at, at Worf's tactical station here. I think she must have had a larger part that got kind of cut out in production because at this point she had just finished two years as a regular on Falcon Crest. She was a next door neighbor of Blake Edwards who apparently discovered her on the beach one day, which is creepy old Blake, but she's great in this. Um, she did several years as a lead on Passions, almost 10, I think. She's currently on The Young and the Restless as a regular playing Dr. Lena Cavett. She was recurring on things like L.A. Law, Melrose Place, Jag, everything you can think of. Lots and lots of people in uniforms. That's a, a recurring theme for all three of our big guest stars here. Wait, did you say that she's currently on The Young and the Restless? She is. That's a, what? A, yep. Young and the Restless is still getting made and B... <laughs> That's amazing to have that long of a career. Oh, hell yeah. It's incredible. But my favorite I saved for last, the incredible Karen Seymour as Subcommander Taris. You would not know from this, but she is very, very British. Um, She plays Grace. the, The one of the lead characters in one of my top three favorite films of all time called The Ruling Class. 
Have you guys seen this? Mm -mm. This is Peter O'Toole's best performance, in my opinion. It is Alastair Sim. It is it is incredibly wealthy British aristocrats, Mm -hmm. the most wealthy and powerful among them. The young man who owns the treasure of the family, etc., goes nuts and thinks he's Jesus. So that's Peter O'Toole. And it's fucking incredible and weird and you gotta see it and she's great in it. All right, so now that I've waxed poetic on that, um, we go to tons and tons of video games. Like she did that and then she's in like all the Gears of War, all the Mass Effects. Um, And then there were none, that weird Agatha Christie uh, uh, PC top video game uh, from like 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, which I loved. Uh, Star Wars, Knights of the Old Republic 2. She did, if you if you go down her IMDb, it's video game after video game after video game after video game. And then you go to like ER, Malcolm in the Middle, <laughs> Revenant, Voyager, Murder, She Wrote. These are recurring, all of them. Quantum Leap. Uh, she was on Next Generation two more times. Matlock, Magnum P.I., Cagney and Lacey. She was in Mr. Mom. She's one of the freaking other... Uh, 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 what do you call it? Um, the moms? Moms? <laughs> no, no. She's one of the other uh, executives uh, where where the mom goes to work. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just everything. She was in Hay Fever on Broadway. She was in Brian Bedford's production of School for Scandal at the Mark Taper Forum. She's my hero. I can't wait to talk about her performance. Let's keep going. Fantastic. Let's dive into the episode proper with that. Uh, We start out in our teaser with uh, knowing uh, that we are going to find the USS Yamato. Captain Donald Varley has asked for help in the neutral zone because they're having issues with the ship and they're hoping to fix it before they get caught. Um, In the meantime, um, they ask on the uh, board the enterprise if we've nailed down our hiccup yet because they've had some sort of a strange reading um which is a nice uh sort of shadow to put over the beginning of the episode um perhaps something we'll talk about later um (laughs) we find the yamato uh what do we think of that ship the yamato it's the second time we've seen it right wasn't it in the uh with the one with the nagilam uh where silence has no lease right where they they showed it and they were like you know, I knew it was going to come back, right? Having like just a mirror sister ship is, is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm glad they used it in this way, but man, it is, it is rough. Uh, and I wonder, I'm just mentioning that, um, that weird reading. I was wondering if they were trying to allude to detecting Romulans uh, with the cloaking device or, or what. And I, and I wonder if that thread got lost somehow in editing. Yeah, they did. I think they have mentioned that they've gotten the logs already Mm. from the Yamato, um, which was the connection I made with that. That makes Um, much more sense. But um, yeah, we'll talk about the destruction of the Yamato because it is epic. Um, uh, But first we get a little bit of uh, fun times where Captain Picard gives a really like dad joke of what's a nice captain like you doing in a place like this and we immediately find out that that joke falls flat because there's a lot of dead people (laughs) so apparently that was not the way to quite start that conversation Uh, but but on the other hand we 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 do find out that it's just an engineering team so like (laughs) right don't worry too much about them (laughs) barley shuts that down right away he's like ha 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 you're so funny by the way yeah, he's, he calls it antique humor. 
Yes, antique humor. <laughs> Which I uh, think is what they call dad jokes. That's yeah. great. Is it the opening scene with the pan shot? With yeah. Picard leaving? I mean, that was pretty cool. It, was like, it seemed like a single shot where it follows mm. up the bridge and down and then it's blocked so that as the pan comes around, data comes forward and then Riker. Like, it's all very theatrical, the movie. Yeah. And, uh, it was fun. I don't know that it lent anything to it. And it was like, it really drew me like, oh, you're really doing a lot of great camera work there. <laughs> it's one of the first times we <laughs> see a, well, not the fun. first times, but it's rare to see a handheld shot like that, right? Because you can clearly tell if someone's walking and talking with it, like it's before steady cams became mm. as good as they are. Uh, right, but I, right. I appreciated the staging too, because they go, oh yeah, we can actually do this and make sure that we know where the, the, the camera is going to be looking and deliver the lines uh, right. that way. Uh, I enjoyed it. We find out that the uh, the USS Yamato is falling apart, but Varley does not want to evacuate quite yet. He thinks that would cause too much panic. And after all, it was only an engineering team. We're, um, he yeah. does say that before we yeah. lose more than an engineering team. Yes. <laughs> Something important. <laughs> uh, but we find out that he thinks that he has found the home world of the Iconians. Uh, he has found their dead planet with lots of technology left. And the Iconians, we can tell right away, are like a big deal. Jimmy. Iconian is slightly, but only slightly better than unobtainium. <laughs> <laughs> They're an iconic race. Well, uh, they get some weird readings on the Enterprise uh, that something is about to happen bad on the Yamato. But we've got lots of bad... Um, technology communication happening where all of a sudden everything fuzzes out. They can't reach them in time and the Yamato blows up or more like disintegrates. Uh, let's talk about that. It, it, great use of uh, 1989 S, uh, you know, FX. Absolutely. I was struck by so many of the effects in this one and how effective they were, if you will. Like a lot of the stuff in this episode holds up enormously well the first time you see the amato there's a there's a matte painting behind it that is fucking gorgeous and then yeah this explosion i love the 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 sound cue as soon as wharf says like there's a there's a uh a power surge on the on the amato and then you know things are going to get messed up right away uh from that from that sound cue and then yeah that that explosion and then that the reaction of picard hesitant but then at first it's like, put up shields because now we're going to get some some debris happening here it is quite horrifying and it was remember reminiscent of the destruction of the enterprise in search for spock uh i i remember that explosion and how the the dish of the enterprise in that old movie kind of blew up slowly over time and you got to see like the almost the decks uh uh incinerate and that was echoed in this destruction uh and so yeah it was very terrifying to watch and as soon so, as, go for it, Jimmy. I had such a different experience. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought that it looked it looked good, but there was it, it lacked the gravitas for me. Like there was something about the way it played out, either the way it was directed or written, where it, the weight of all the loss of those lives didn't hit me. And I thought it was very telling that the very next scene afterwards is like, I feel exactly like Wesley, barely a blink of the eye. Like it was just like, oh, and maybe it was just a stunned because it blew up, but it just didn't, uh, it, it wasn't like seeing um, um, Tasha die or 
like that that single character had more of an impact of being taken away than this entire ship and i i don't i don't know why yeah i i tended to think that it's a mixture of shock like you say and the fact that literally half a second after the thing explodes the romulans show up uh so that they they literally don't have time to process it Right. Uh, until the whole re- rest of the episode is kind of over. And then they'll all fuck. Wesley will be in a corner, you know, all curled up and Guinan will have to come find him. Uh, it's a hell of I a mean, dramatic. I mean, I'd go running right to Guinan. A hell of right. a dramatic cold open, right? Because you're like, here's your friend. Ship is malfunctioning. Oh, it's going to blow up. By the way, Romulans. And then credits. Credits. <laughs> and you're like, oh, my God, there's so much dramatic potential here. Uh, so, well, yeah, I agree. And the the Romulan uncloak bit and cloak mm. bit, they still work like that. That water shimmer effect and the fade in and fade out. It works so well. It's it's a kind of reference to the ones that were used in the original series, which were two dimensional shimmer things, right? That went horizontal, and these go kind of vertical, mostly. But it's just such an improvement, and it holds up. You know, twenty three years later, for sure. Well, after those opening credits, the Romulan vessel indeed arrives and at first we get no response but then we find out that we've got commander subcommander terrace uh there and everybody wants to know what everybody else is doing there thank you very much don't worry about us thank you what are you doing here no 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 don't worry right. about us what are you doing here Which i think they need to work on the term neutral zone because it just doesn't imply nobody should be here. It seems like a place yeah. where we all can be. This is, you know, this is where we can all get together, talk about our differences, see if we can't. Yeah, it's come Vegas, closer. man. It, you know, it should be the dead zone or get the fuck out of here zone, or <laughs> not uh, the neutral zone. Yeah. Uh, Terrace swears up and down. They did not destroy the Yamato. They they cut the audio. That's always my favorite when he turns around and does a little like gun mouth. Uh, and again, I just always imagine the other person on the other side like, what the fuck? Did he just mute me? Did he just mute me? Okay. Okay. <laughs> did he Fine. turn his back on me? What? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> no uh, one turns t- their back on me. <laughs> to talk to a fucking robot? <laughs> <laughs> and a Klingon? I do like that Picard. I love that it's just a simple line, but it just like comments. Yeah. From his from mm-hmm. his bridge crew. Like, give me something to, to work with. I'm stalling for time. I don't really know what to do here. Uh, give me some information. And then he makes a decision. I, I like that as his, uh, you know, his executive function here. Yeah. Uh, Picard decides that they will stay until they have learned how the Yamato was destroyed. And after... Uh, after he says goodbye to Taurus, uh, Worf starts unhinging a little bit with uh, conspiracy <laughs> theories. And so Picard sort of lays down the, uh, I don't want conjecture, I want answers. And I will say, I think he is rattled by the loss of his friend and all that. I mean, this scene is very not like the Picard that we've seen. I don't think he, he, he kind of goes off the handle a little bit uh, for Picard uh, in, in this scene because of what he just witnessed and the mm. tension that's going on. Yeah. Good. I like that. Uh, We find out a little while later that the matter, -matter, antimatter, 
mixed together, which you can tell from their names, they're not supposed to, because <laughs> one of them matters and the one other one is the anti of that. So oopsie daisies. Um, and uh, interestingly, they find that the antimatter started to drain, but it was stopped. Uh, and LaForge wonders whether there might be a design flaw in the ship. Uh, so they say, are we safe? And the answer is maybe. I don't know. Which is always great. Uh, <laughs> Troy thinks that they should deuce out, uh, but Picard is worried about what that what happened to the Yamato will happen to the Enterprise. Uh, and then we get into this lovely section in the ready room where we get to hear some of Varley's personal logs um, and finding out about... Uh, the sort of progression of finding the planet, finding items on the planet, uh, all the way to, oh shit, something's wrong with the ship. Uh, Eric, talk to us about, uh, about Donald Varley and his series. I desperately want like deleted scenes from Varley's log, like <laughs> an, an attempt to make chili without the replicator, <laughs> you know, like they kept skipping to the next one. And I just wanted him to start some completely unrelated story and they had to skip it again. Like just give this actor some room to fuck around and at least do it for half an hour on set and then include included in deleted scenes or something. But I, I think that was missed, but I, I do love just this fantastic actor looking at the camera and talking to us. I dig too, that it's just a, a part a, a dramatization of exposition that works mm -hmm. really well, right? You don't necessarily get like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to monologue at the camera uh, for, you know, a good four minutes in a row. But it's compelling and you want you're like trying to piece together what he was trying to piece together at the same time along with him. Um, you know, he has the drama of it being like, you know, I, I love his lines about like, we might as well just dock if, if this technology gets in the rhyme in the hands, we might as well just dock our ships and and defend ourselves with sticks. You know, and he's got this great way of, of, of talking. And it, and it is uh, I love that they that the director chose not to just show the log, but to show the picture in picture of the log from Picard's point of view, watching it on that display screen, other than the fact that I was kind of looking at, Oh, that's shiny. What's on his desk. You know, what's <laughs> happening. But I just like that. It was, you know, uh, witnessing it the way that Picard was witnessing it, uh, that, that, that gave it some power. Yeah. We find out that Varley was going to ask Picard to continue his work. If something was wrong with the Yamato. So that's part of why they've asked the enterprise to come not just because they're having issues, but because of this larger issue of preventing the Romulans from getting this technology. Uh, so as Picard tries to leave the ready room, the door doesn't open right away. Oh, Love this oh man. If a door doesn't open, if a ball rolls across, across the floor, if anything out of the ordinary happens on this fucking ship, anything that causes me to pause wonder and shake my head and then go about my business i'm gonna stop myself and run to guinan i'm gonna do it that's what i have to do there's no guinan in this episode she would have known exactly what was exactly going on what to do true story uh they put the scan the 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 view of the that the yamato had when it got scanned by the probe um and it shot <laughs> lightning uh out of a ball uh at at the inter or at the uh, yamato uh, and then I love that Picard's like, where was it when it was scanned? Great. Let's go there. <laughs> like, yeah, that seems about right. 
Nothing could go wrong there. And no comments for that one. Like, there was no sort of like, is this a good idea? Should we do this, friends? It's no, we're going. Uh, But Picard very uh, wisely is going because he thinks he can help to prevent a war. The only Uh, weird plot hole here is how they're toe-to-toe with the Romulan ship, right? I guess the Romulan ship cloaked. So they don't know that it's there. But that was my first thought. It was like, you're just going to nope out and they're just going to follow you. I guess they won't know where they're going. Yeah, all that kind of does track. But that was my first thought. (laughs) Man, these Romulans are just letting them go farther into the neutral zone. That seems uncharacteristic of them. We, uh, we go back to the ready room and Wesley comes in all awkward as shit and he wants to talk about feelings. Uh, but before he can talk about feelings, he talks about the Iconians and we get a little bit of exposition, uh, knowing that they were seen as warlike and known as the demons of air and darkness, which I fucking love. I think that's a great description. Yeah. I, um, for one, welcome our Iconian warlord <laughs> overseers. I loved it too, but uh, you know when he responds with the way they travel is like magic. All I can think of is like breaking down your particles and sending it far <laughs> across to other places and reassembling them in the same person, like that kind of magic. Well, he even says to Wesley, but farther, though, yeah, but farther. It's true because he does say to Wesley that that what we do would seem like magic to somebody from you know, right. But Wesley ago. is at a point. As any teenager of his age in the 23rd century where that doesn't seem like magic. It's like, well, that's a cool bit of technology. Right. Uh, And also he comes in, how do you guys handle this so well? It's like, you seem to be handling it pretty well. You're you're doing all right, my friend. Are you serious? His little fingers and hands are so balled up when he first comes in. He's so tense. Oh, he's got all the feelings and he's balling them up in his hands. We didn't Technique, get any butt Jenny. shots, so we don't know Technique. how clenched he is. <laughs> I guess I missed the... the <laughs> I was looking it's... at his spelt body, I guess. I didn't see <laughs> the, the tight fists. Uh, and then we get that iconic, of course, the first time, T. Earl Grey hot. Uh, I, I screamed, drink! Because I always think you should do a shot when <laughs> he says yes. that. Um, but instead, it gives him a, a plant of some sort. And yet, yet again, we have system failures. We even have a, a captain's log about it uh, moments later. Um, LaForge, we find, uh, has found out that it is not a design flaw. Oh, no. He now thinks it was the probe. Oh, no. Um, and he needs time. But it's again. always the probe. Always. <laughs> it's always the probe. And they uh, arrive at the planet. And what's the first thing they see? The probe. The probe. Uh, they mm-hmm. they find an energy source in the mountains. The the cities have been destroyed over two hundred thousand years ago. But here comes this probe. <laughs> let's catch it. And let's catch it. Got to catch them all, right? Yeah. And then we have this great moment where Jordy says no, but he can't communicate or get out of the room. And then the turbo lift goes fucking crazy. Whoa. Let's talk about this yeah. turbo lift. This is more rightly termed a Wonka lift, and this is now canon. It goes every direction. Upways and sideways and leftways and slantways. <laughs> That's right, it does. Jordy at one point is stuck in the upper corner, not like the ceiling, not the floor. He is like the, the thing is going down and to the left at the same yeah. time. And, it's like and the whole saucer section is actually um, hollow. <laughs> and, 
it's great because you can tell that that piece of set has seen a bunch of action because there was a big like tear or something up where he was like a, a, a gash mark that's awesome I think he does a great job with uh with that physical yeah. physical a- uh, acrobatics of that completely. Yeah, I thought it was a fun fun scene. It did like yeah. Eric said, it did make a damn bit of sense. <laughs> no, but, it's amazing, man. It was fun, especially when he has to do the pantomime and he's up against mm-hmm. the wall and he's like trying to do the gravity <sighs> thing where he's stuck. Yeah. And he's like <sighs> he says something like, "What the hell's going on?" Or I don't know if Jordy ever cuts. He's like, "What the heck?" Or, <laughs> Get me out and, of here. And then, and then it stops and the door opens and he flies, flies out and out. executes a perfect flip <laughs> fall. And what's the physics of the the way the the turbo have had to be traveling to shoot him out in that direction? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and, but I don't and care. And still spinning. Yeah, it it's was wonderful. Amazing. It's like and then the line stuff. is, what does Picard say to him in this moment? Oh, oh I, no, it's first Jordy says. Sorry. Oh, yeah. I mean, Jordy yells at them to destroy the, the probe, which they do. And Picard says something to the effect of, welcome to the bridge. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Ah! Forge. Which is fantastic. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> uh, I just um, love that we got so many close-ups of the carpet on the side of the turbo lift, too. Like, just, <laughs> it felt like that carnival ride where we're all kind of stuck to yes, the side. stuck to the wall. Yep, uh, the scrambler. Inclu- including his like feet up in the air shot. I love that shot where he's like clearly just... They were just like, hey, LeVar, just do some weird stuff with your body and we'll cut it together so it looks good. He, well done, <laughs> Mr. Burton. Uh, so LeVar, uh, LeVar, sorry, Jordy tells us that the uh, probe sent a computer code to the Yamato and that um, the ship was fighting two different programs and the program got on board the Enterprise when they downloaded the logs, which they had done when they were in transit. Um, so they have a little bit of breathing space, but they don't know how much. But we immediately get word that Pulaski no longer trusts turbo lifts. So we're going <laughs> to add that to the technology on board that Pulaski does not trust. Why um, is Pulaski screaming at an extra? Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll, get, to, we'll, get, to that. we'll get to that scene. I, she, there's some great acting in that scene. Uh but before we get there, um, we hear the line, they are sitting on a bomb that could go off any second or never, mm. which I think is fucking fantastic uh, because that's just the, that unknown. So they've got some time, maybe, let's find out. And then there is Pulaski and she is pissed that the bio beds aren't working. <laughs> and it's all this poor guy's fault. Because he doesn't know what a splint is, damn it. Well, that guy's a tool. Yeah, that guy sucks. <laughs> He's like, this isn't medicine. That's not how you practice medicine. This isn't medicine. Yeah, I like, think she should have broke his leg. Of wood. It's like, why don't you tell me to get uh, two eight tracks? Like, what else can you tell me that there's no way I could get a hold of? Two pieces of wood? I'm going to go chop a hollow tree down? Get out of here. <laughs> Do they even know what wood is in the right. 24th century? <laughs> like, there's no, no trees anymore. We haven't seen trees since the last truffle tree died. <laughs> <laughs> she insists that they're going to have to do medicine with their head and their heart and their hands. Um, That's a, which I mean, sounds messy. 
They're trying to make her uh, Dr. McCoy here. Like that was basically like this could be DeForest Kelly uh, saying these mm-hmm. lines. Uh, we go back to engineering and you guys, Jordy is having the worst day. <laughs> He's just having a bad one because like the ship blew up and that was a bummer and then the turbo lift and then he's at his computer and then he gets like electrocuted (laughs) and yet again spend some time next to carpet we get to know the carpet of the uss enterprise yeah i know he was being thrown around everywhere but and i i promise you this is true I was like, he's having a bad episode. And I was like, I feel like LeVar Burton was told in 20 years, you're not going to get the Jeopardy game. <laughs> <laughs> like that's, I was like, what does this man have to do? <laughs> yeah. I mean, a misogynist gets it above him, an anti-vaxxer. It's like, what does a black man have to do to be seen on Jeopardy? <laughs> I'm just really feeling it for poor LeVar. <laughs> Poor oh, Jordy, Jordy, though. I mean, uh, uh, Data ends up. Data helps him. out. Somehow, and then they get that. Yeah, and Brent Spiner ungrounds him. Like I don't know if you can see, it's a very quick shot, but he's like very like, oops, I didn't mean to do that. (laughs) Yeah, and you're like, well, wait a would would data be like seventy thousand processes a second? Come on, man, about that, right? And then they get the great comedic bit back and forth, which is great. Uh, amazing. This is a moment that had me, and and a bit later when when data gets overwhelmed and and reboots. Like data is the perfect role for like what I would dream of as an actor to, to spend, you know, now 25 years playing or whatever. Like he, you have to have fantastic, incredible physical technique, but you also have to be able to emotionally connect with the material and the people your rhythms have to be incredible. Your memorization has to be perfect. Like, what an incredible performer he is. And I want to take and out this his... the little joke right here after such an intense moment is perfect. His line, I want to take it out and like put it on like coffee mugs and on like needlepoint and hang it up in my thing. Because he says, this is just yet another example of how our actions have random uh, occurrences afterwards. And I'm like, that's that's life, man. <laughs> <laughs> Not just the plot of this episode. We find out that the life systems are failing. The ship is falling apart. And Picard thinks if they could just get to that planet, they would find the answer. And of course, Picard will lead the away team. <laughs> uh, and we have that old chestnut of, nah, yeah, okay. Which is <laughs> my favorite of their arguments. <laughs> Uh, so Miles sends them down to the planet, Data, Worf, and Picard, and says it might be next to impossible to bring them back. Uh, Riker is left in control of the bridge, and whilst there, the Romulans uh, come back, and our shields are not responding. The Romulan ship fires, but nothing Fast. happens. Nothing happens. And Picard, uh, sorry, Riker has this great line where he says, fate protects fools, little children, and <laughs> ships named Enterprise. <laughs> I love that. That it does. Yeah. Uh, and then the shields go up and down and up and down, and the phasers aren't working, and Riker says, can somebody find me some rocks? Which <laughs> is a great line. <laughs> Uh, so finally, Riker thinks maybe they're experiencing what we're experiencing. So he contacts them to figure out what is going on. Terrace says, yeah, hailing frequencies work just fine. Just work just fine. And you might as well. Right. Like, what are you going to lose? 
things yeah. are going poorly, might as well just be like, hey, guys, <laughs> we're having a real fuddy-duddy day over here. <laughs> Your power yeah. out, too? Yeah, mine, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Terra says this planet is ours. Um, he says, you can't claim a planet in the neutral system. And she's like, watch me. Uh, but they can't cloak, um, which is a problem. Uh, as you get older, from what I understand, you lose the ability to cloak <laughs> with any great predictability. Um, then the probe is coming towards the Romulan ship and they send a, a real fast message to them to destroy that ship. And to her credit, Tara says, OK, yeah, let's let's destroy this thing. Uh, and then Troy senses frustration. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, counselor. <laughs> and then they say, we're going to keep the shields up. And then Wesley, damn it, Wesley, you're so smart, says, if we keep the shields up, we're not going to be able to beam the team back on board. Damn it, him and his knowledge of how things work. This one felt like a weird, odd tension one because you're like, but the, they could go down at any moment and then the transporter probably won't work either. So, like, you know, keep them up while you can. I, I didn't feel like this. This one felt like, a. I don't really feel tense about that. I feel tense about everything else in this episode, but. <laughs> uh, back down on the planet, they have found a control center uh, and Picard is super hot for that control console. <laughs> like, he is just like, mm, yes, let daddy touch that. Uh, <laughs> it's all sorts of fun shapes and colors. Uh, indeed. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, they're trying to figure out if it's like other consoles. They do a lot of like technical terms that I didn't write down of consoles <laughs> that it might be like and languages that it might be like. So they set out to find the root language uh, to see if they can figure this out. Back on board the Enterprise, Troy is jumpy because tension is high on the ship. Um, you only seen that because Riker said it. <laughs> <laughs> do I look jumpy? Uh, and I like this bit of advice, though. She tells Riker to give everyone something to do, um, which I love, because uh, that is something that in a crisis where you can't really do anything, give me a job. I don't care what it is that I can focus on. Uh, so he sends her away to say, plan an evacuation to the planet that we're never going to do. <laughs> yeah. And she's, and she's like, but I can stay and help. And he's like, I got it. You said she was frustrated. Like, right. yeah, you're, I need, I need you here. Right. <laughs> exactly. uh, back on the planet, Data has found the root language and starts to list all of the words that he used to form it, uh, which he is quickly cut off on. And he ends up inadvertently opening a gateway to other uh, locations. Uh, Picard muses to himself if maybe the Iconians might have escaped. Mm -hmm. Right? And certainly this may be why they were so dreaded, because they could appear out of nowhere. Um, they use this idea of the shifting gate uh, in a later episode, I think, of... We'll cut this part out because I can't This whole remember. thing sounds like Doctor Who to me. I, the yeah. moment yeah. I saw this, I'm like, this is a Doctor Who episode suddenly. And it's very cool. I'm in. Uh, but it really struck me uh, as so similar to what I would exper expect Doctor Who to do when he invariably encounters an intact control center. Or she. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Or she. Much appreciated, my I friend. I thought sure as shit Loki was going to come through. 
Or Howard the Duck. Uh, oh, yeah. Howard the, the Duck. Uh, Data starts to think maybe they weren't so warlike after all. Picard says maybe we had it wrong. Um, and for a brief second, the Enterprise shows up in the little gateway. Ooh. Which is yeah. exciting. And Worf, uh, uh, you know, is the one who's like, what? Was that really the Enterprise? <laughs> <laughs> he's still he's still burned by the one bridge, one Riker. <laughs> <laughs> he felt his brain start to spin. And he's like, stop, stop it, stop it. Not again. <laughs> Uh, then Data starts to have a very bad day because Data gets electrified. Yeah. Uh, and has this wonderful, they try to wake him up and he is damaged. Can, can um, we talk about what what he does first? With yes, the, I was that, just about that, to say, let's talk about how he, yeah. how he plays this. Eric? Oh, it's just so funny with the, uh, when he starts to press the buttons on the thing. And he's like, I, I believe this is manual override. And he presses it down and, and you get... That was not manual override. Yes. But I'm just like, it's it's so funny that they had data basically do the what does this button do thing. You know, he's like, I think I've got it figured out. And he's like, you think you've got it figured out? Yes, I think I've got it figured out. All right, then press the button. I'm pressing the button. Boom. I did not have it figured out. I mean, it's just 100% a old vaudeville routine. Yeah. It's great. And then we get some great uh, work by Spiner um, with, mm. the, with the twitches and the rewriting of the synapses. And, yeah. Kind of the um, servos coming back online yeah. and everything. We find out from uh, that the Enterprise is showing up roughly every four minutes uh, in, the, in the cycle. So yeah, Picard, what a great internal clock he had. Yeah, he's <laughs> real good at that. One, two, it's about, it's got, it's got about three minutes left, Captain. I mean, that's canon for a Klingon, right? Like, we all know sure. that they're really good at telling time. Internal clocks are amazing. <laughs> uh, Picard says, Worf, take date. you're going to take data through. And in the meantime, I want you to destroy this tricorder uh, because they're going to destroy everything lest it fall into the hands of the Romulans. Uh, so Data gives halting advice on how to destroy the power source because he can't see anything. Um, and he says uh, the names of the colors. And uh, I love the way he says, you know, blue, amber, amber, red, because yeah, you don't amber know. Yeah. Solid yeah. amber or something. Right. But you don't know, like, is if it a glitch? It's a stutter. Is it a yeah. stutter? Uh, or is that what the I think that's I, I think that's just really clever the way they do that. Agreed. Um. Worf and Data miraculously show up on the bridge, uh, which actually I think is to hand like it looks really cool. Um, mm -hmm. I think that that stands up that that FX. Um, and everyone's like, wait, what? So they take Data to engineering and Data dies. End of episode. So our yep. next episode of Reengage. Shocking. Re <laughs> Shocking. Uh, yeah. No, right? Like. Data dies. And this is where they name check Maddox, where they say, like, I mean, if we had anybody who knew anything about robotics, like a Maddox or something, and you're like, well, I thought he was a bad guy. Wait, what? <laughs> back on the planet, Picard launches the probe. Uh, back on the Enterprise, Data wakes up. It is the fastest <laughs> like, release of tension ever. It's not even an act break, right? Like, it happens in the no. middle of, of an act. Yeah. Just kidding. What the heck? <laughs> And then we find out that uh, much like our friends on the IT crowd, um, 
they should have just turned it off and on again. Uh, like you were saying, Jimmy, this now seems like so obvious, but back then this would have been a, a, a new thought uh, in terms of shutting down and wiping the memory, which Data is very concerned about what memory was wiped, what he doesn't remember and what he does remember. I think that's very cute. I love that they play that for comedy this whole time, too. I mean, like, wait, what? And they're, like, talking over him, and he's like, wait, what's happening? Who, where am I? Can I help? Yeah, may I help? Uh, Riker is concerned about shutting down uh, because of the Romulans, but Jordy is basically like, we're either going to just be destroyed because the ship is going to blow up or the Romulans, so pick your poison. Mm-hmm. Um, back on the planet, Picard manages to close the shuttle doors, mm-hmm. uh, which means that the uh, the shuttles will or the probes will launch um, and then, I guess, backfire and destroy the power source. And Picard plays a little bit of a roulette and runs right onto the deck of the Romulan ship. Um, in the meantime, the Enterprise has locked onto Picard right before he does that. They've got him. The ship is great. Oh, shit, we lost him. And there he is. Uh, reminded me a little bit. We've This is the second time that someone has miraculously shown up on, uh, on a ship, on an enemy ship, said hello, and then, like, miraculously deuced out before bad things happen. Um, because here, the ro- we've started the auto-destruct. And, and she says she cannot stop it. Yeah, we cannot stop it, but I know that... But the, the thing I know is that you will die with us. And he says... Not, I think, today. As he's materializing. So we know that you can be a smart ass. <laughs> mid, exactly. You know, Adam's being torn apart. Your vocal cords <laughs> yeah. are still working. I mean, he's already <laughs> a construct. So, you know. Like. <laughs> For some uh, reason, that cadence of that last line bothers me. I don't not, like. Not, I think, today. What? <laughs> it just trips off the tongue so <laughs> it's sweetly. i mean not today i think commander would have worked better i don't know i disagree greg <gasps> love it fights, fights. no i don't <laughs> greg if we're gonna fight you can have it oh <laughs> i should have said i think today not commander <laughs> 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 well she's a sub-commander sub-commander yeah sorry. also the robins got to work on their rank and file system because that just sounds very low yes it does. Sub- you're not the top. Let me speak to your boss. Maybe sub she's commander. the commander of a sub. Okay. Can Maybe I? she's a sub commander. Mm. A U-boat uh, commander. Yeah. <laughs> Picard says, run away. And Riker says, no, tell them the information that they need to hear. And yet again, the Romulan ship takes the advice pretty quickly. Immediately. Uh, Boom. And then they are like, cool, but still run away just in case. That's <laughs> 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 nice. It's a great, great, great line. We've already lost one ship. If we lose another one, whatever. We've been through it. <laughs> and then Picard's uh, all jokey at the end, right? He's right. It's not even one day since his buddy died. And all those other thousands of people. And the engineering I think team. Well, <laughs> I think he's riding high on the, like, not I think today line. I think he's just feeling himself. You should have heard the line I just gave the sub commander. Oh, no, right he goes I killed to over there. <laughs> and he's like, "You're right. The the fun is on the away missions. I guess everything yeah. here was routine, right?" End of episode. <laughs> Why would you think that? 
what about today made you think it was routine over here? Oh, he's just being such a little shit. I love it. I love it. I think he. I think he is high on adrenaline yeah, and. I agree. Just he's one hundred percent slapping him for the fuck of it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And then you get the um, smallest of explosions on the planet of like, oh, by the way, the power source is blowing up, and we, yes. we finished our, our mission. Main mission over, and Bye. that's that's the episode, my friends. Uh, so let's let's t- let's get down to it. Um, how do we feel about this episode as a whole, Eric? Tell me how you feel about this episode as a whole. Well, I will give it seven and a half scenes where the actor passes their hand over the face of the dead character without touching it and the eyes close anyway. <laughs> and they still Twitter a little bit. Yeah. 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 But I, I really, really enjoyed it. I think some of the acting is incredible. I love these guest stars. Uh, I love in particular the work of Mr. Spiner again, but I'm just repeating myself. So I say seven and a half and pass it on to the rest of you. Excellent. Greg. I think I'm right there with you. I think it's uh, uh, I want to go with eight uh, probes that you should blow up as soon as they get near your areas. It is uh, <laughs> a really good solid episode. You get you know the the whole idea. Uh, I love that computer virus is not said in this episode at all, but that's what's the plot is all about. Uh, you're totally. I just love that it, it ends up starting so many tropes. Uh, in the future from like Independence Day to to uh, um, you know Jurassic Park and all the the things that we are gonna see with computers being a big uh, plot in, in in fantasy and sci-fi movies going forward um, and this is the this is the beginning of it and you're right the computer age as I was saying in the in the intro with the events that's happening with the World Wide Web we're all gonna know so much more about this uh, in uh, going on and I just I love that we learned in this podcast or at least I did that an IT person contributed to the story here. I hope it was <laughs> just about this part and how you could possibly get over uh, all that's happening. Um, solid performances throughout all of them. It's a very funny episode while also being mm-hmm. a, uh, a well-directed dramatic episode too. And uh, it, it hits all the notes. So I'm going to go with uh, with eight, nine. The only things I have against it is um, a few odd uh, placements of, of, of plot holes uh, and, and things that I'm like, nah, I don't really kind of buy that. But other than that, I, I really dug it. Excellent. Jimmy. Uh, I'm with Greg and Eric. I'm going to give it seven, uh, mid transporter Romulan disses. (laughs) Um, it's pretty good overall. Uh, I think the biggest thing for me was what I mentioned at the beginning, the blowing up of the ship didn't resonate and after hearing us talk about it i think that uh i it feels even less of a big tragedy because of some of the things you mentioned there are some punchlines mixed in with the tragedy and that works i love things that are heavy and funny at the same time but to for that to work a world is built around it for it to be a, a dark kind of comedy and star trek hasn't earned that they, they they haven't really played into that world so it's like consequential that there's these punchlines and supposedly big tragedy with tens of thousands of people dying instantly. Uh, But despite that, um, it's better than the last episode uh, (laughs) and not as good as measure of a man, which is the new measure of uh, Star Trek episodes. 
So, but it's still sci-fi in every way that it can be sci-fi. It is sci-fi, and um, even bad sci-fi is good. So it's seven. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I'm going to give it seven and a half uh, Wonka lifts um, <laughs> because I think that there's just some great work by a lot of fantastic folks on this episode. Um, some great physicality. And yeah, I, I, I remember this episode because of the sort of sci-fi plot line of it, that gate and the, the corruption of uh, information from one source to another. Um, and I think it actually still stands up. Uh, and I like it. I do. I really like it. <laughs> um, so that is our episode this week. Join us next week for the Royale. Ooh. Ooh we've had the Dauphin. And now we're going to have the Royale. Yeah. <laughs> Such a good episode. Exciting. I can't wait. Yes, it's gonna be it's gonna be fantastic. So sounds like a uh, broken holodeck episode. Oh man. <laughs> But we hope you'll join us, uh, and I'm just hoping my pants aren't wet. From all that, if you wet your pants on the holodeck, do they stay wet? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining our cultural bridge officers for this episode of Reengage. Next week, we are continuing the mission with another episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation. We want to hear from our listeners. If you've got questions or observations, hailing frequencies are open. You can email letsreengage at gmail.com or if you're more social media minded, follow Reengage on Instagram and Twitter at reengagetng to get updates on episode drops and all kinds of fun. Eric Grattan emails the best way to ask him a question. Follow Kate Yeager at Yeagerlicious on Twitter and Instagram. Jimmy G is Jimmy at the Jimmy G on Instagram. Greg Tito is Greg Tito on Twitter and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Reengage is edited and mixed by Krista Curry, Krista from Glee on Twitter, and Krista.curry on Instagram. Logo artwork by MojoJojo97 on Twitter, or you can find her at Mojo97.com. And our theme music is by the incomparable Ryan Marth. Thanks for listening. Stand by for Riker's Beard to Reengage. <laughs>